Today's episode of the Goldcast is sponsored by Chapstick. Are your lips chapped? Then put some Chapstick on them. Welcome to the new Goldcast 2017. Uh, we're really excited as you know we are not. Traditionally we do go through the NFL playoffs or some or all the playoffs depending on how upset we were on the 49ers season. But we are going all the way through and so... Uh, expect to see little changes along the way. We've changed our Twitter handle. We do have a website that's coming up pretty soon. We have new intro. So slowly but surely, things are changing. Um, and so here is my brother Ray and I to talk about the final recap for the 49ers season. Here we go. San Francisco, are you ready? This is the Gold Cast. <laughs> Boom! We're back. 2017. The new gold cast is here. We still have some changes. You'll see some logos, some different stuff. But the gold cast is here. I'm your host, Rudy Solis III. And with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Solis I, baby. Boom. Ray, we're back. 2017 and... What a difference a week makes. The 49ers season is over. It's uh, We're putting to bed another rough, rough season. But let's kind of over, let's, you know, do a quick little kind of season in review. You know, we have the final game against 49ers against the Seahawks, which I actually thought was the most competitive we'd played the Seahawks in a couple of years. I thought that was actually one of the best games we'd played against them. Yeah, we've lost like I think like six straight to them, so something like that, six or seven straight. I know Kaepernick mm-hmm. hasn't had the best of luck against these guys. I think he won like the very first time they met, and then he's lost every other game since. He's It's been the inverse, uh, much like Aaron Rodgers struggled against us. Um, Seattle's, the Seattle Seahawks have been the... Achilles heel to Colin Kaepernick, even when the team was great. Um, but they looked, they were very competitive today. I'd love to see that. It was great. Cap overall, I feel like had a pretty strong season considering all the odds around him. It was much different in 2014 and 15 when everything was kind of crumbling around him and he was kind of a deer in the headlights lost in, in the middle of that, that whole transition. I feel like psychologically he really cleared his head this year and was able to alleviate a lot of pressure off of himself to perform great because he realized that, I think like as he said a couple of times, especially in the off seasons, that he can only control the things that he can control. You you know, he's... you can only be, you know, there's part of Kaepernick's game where he is a victim of his circumstances. That is very true. There's 11 guys on the field. There's no denying that. At the same time, um, the things he can't control, he did very well. I mean, he ended the season with over 2,000 passing yards. 2241 was the total. He only threw four picks. He had 16 touchdowns. And that's that's off of missing more than a quarter of the season to begin with. Those numbers would more, look, more or less look like a Alex Smith in 2011 kind of season um, had he played all year. And that's with a 2-14 and 14 team. So I think that's a little telling on Kaepernick's ability to play well despite, despite really bad circumstances, even, even within the scheme because the offense did struggle mightily. Some of it was his fault. Some of it was young offensive line, a few injuries on the offensive line, and, of course, uh, 
maybe not just having the right scheme going into each opponent because the first half of each game, almost every game, the first half was great and competitive. And in some a lot of cases we had the lead. And then in the second half, for whatever reason, things just never were able to continue. We didn't have that continuity going into the second half of games. But I think Cap had a really strong year. I think that's whether he decides to stay or not still remains to be seen. I think with Balky gone, which we'll get into, there's more incentive for Kaepernick to stay because I think that was the guy that kind of rubbed everybody the wrong way. Um, Jim Harbaugh was kind of a mixture of the two where he rubbed people the wrong way, but also he didn't get along with Balky for the reasons that nobody else got along with Balky. Just not a very social, conversational guy. <clears throat> He's more of a football guy. <laughs> yeah, you know, I thought I thought Cap did play well, uh, you know, given the circumstances. Uh, I did not realize he'd only thrown four interceptions for the season. That's really good. Yeah, his rating, the the ESPN rating, or his, uh, I'm not sure, if, I don't think it's the ESPN rating, but he had a 90.70 rating. Well, which... you know, I still think, Ray, I, I have to admit, though, I think regardless, I think that was probably the final game we see as, with him as a 49er. There's a strong chance he lets go, because if the new coach comes in and says, I mean, it's up to him, you know, the the option, it's his team option right now. Next year will be the Niners, or I forget how it works. I think either either team can let him go. It really depends on the coach that comes in, um, whether they want to work with him or not. I mean, starting from scratch, scratch is a really tough, tough place to be. But at the same time, we know what we're getting with Kaepernick. We know we're not going to have a 70% completion percentage it's going to be more or less in the kind of mid mid fifth mid to low mid 50s you know low low 60 percentage range mm-hmm. um, sometimes he was a little bit better I know against the Rams he was over 75 percent against Seattle this past week he was 77 percent so he did play better I mean down the stretch he played really good against Atlanta he was 60 percent LA 75 percent Seattle 77 percent that's that's a really good uh, progression against some really good teams with the exception of LA. LA is just nothing. Hey, so we're still better than the Rams, right? Yeah, we're and he got and he got sacked more as those as the last 3 weeks of the season progressed. He was sacked twice against Atlanta, he was sacked four times against LA, sacked five times against Seattle. So despite that, he still had he still was able to pass more efficiently in each in each successive game. So just some numbers to throw out to people. I know a lot of people, especially on some of the Facebook groups, like to throw a lot of flack at Cap. And when you're looking at it from just a pure fan basis, you're not looking at it from an analytical standpoint, sure, that's it's easy to see the flaws and just focus on the flaws. But uh, I like to look at the upside, and I like to get into the finite details of his play. And I also am a logical person in that I understand <laughs> that there's 10 other people involved on the field to help cap be successful anyways but yeah i know it's 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 hard it's hard uh it's hard to use logic all the time it just makes so much sense yeah cap and cap in fact cap's numbers this season are the best he's put up since 2013 he only he missed 2013 he ended with a 91.6 rating this year he was 90.7 last year he was 78.5 his lowest since he was a rookie and in, and actually his rookie season was even better than that. And in 2014, he had an 86.4 rating. He really struggled. Really, He was 6-5 TD interception ratio. He got benched halfway through. He was 19 
for 10. That's touchdown-interception ratio in 2014. So he made a lot of improvements. I think a lot of it had to do with Chip Kelly's scheme. Another part of it had to do with him clearing his head. Yeah, so then, you know, I think that's a really good segue. Let's kind of get into that part, Chip Kelly. So I feel like, I don't know if you feel this way. You know, I'm asking you for the first time. I was actually disappointed that Chip Kelly was fired. I actually thought Chip Kelly deserved another year. I thought York was a little aggressive on that front. I thought that there, while the team was was obviously clearly terrible, I thought that the team had shown uh, some definitely definitely significant growth on offense, despite the fact that that offense going to give you about 30 minutes worth of football. I, I don't think this team under any coach was built for more than 30 minutes worth of football, any game. So I thought Chip's firing was was a shock. I thought Balky's firing came as no surprise. No, in fact, all I mean, all the rumors that have come out the last ever since the Jed York Balky era, every every rumor that has come out towards the end of the season or even prematurely has come true. So this was no surprise. Even the Chip Kelly, the Chip Kelly part uh, caught me off guard a little. I was a little taken aback when I saw it. But wasn't surprised when it happened because I was like, okay, if this is coming out, then unfortunately this means that Kelly's gone too. So I was I was also bitter about that too. I didn't think it was very fair on him. I did think the offense made a lot better strides as a group compared to the previous season under Jim Tomsula, even though they won more games. As odd as that sounds, I just felt like it was a little bit more balanced and Cap was able to play a lot more efficiently under that scheme versus Jim Tom Jim Tomsula's scheme. Yeah, Cap definitely play, played a lot better uh, under Chip's scheme, no question. So so here we go. So they fire Balky. How do you feel about the firing of Balky? I mean, that, that I think we that needed to happen. Totally needed to happen. This is a guy that does not communicate well. I mean, when you hear the stuff that comes out, and all of it comes out after the fact, it's so annoying. Of course. So Trent Balky did not communicate very well with the coaching staff, especially during the draft. And I thought that's – and that's a really pivotal moment – in the off season where you, especially when you have a new coach and a new staff coming in, you want to get your scouts together. Cause I mean, in the off season, it's not like the coaches are like, yeah, they're drawing up playbooks, but they also have to evaluate staff in conjunction with that playbook. It's not like they can drop a playbook and then boom, you got a staff that's not fit for that. You kind of have to tailor it. It's it, a good coach will do that. So, and Chip Kelly totally did that. He did not go, they, they weren't, they were doing a no huddle this year, but they weren't at the, they weren't flying at the clip that the Eagles were flying at. He, it was very much more West Coast style offense, methodical, very Andy Reid esque is what it reminded me of. Only Randy, Andy Reid's way better at it, and and uh, and also defensively, they just couldn't stop anybody. So a lot of and and that didn't help either. <clears throat> but but I think uh, Balky it needed to happen. His culture, his philosophy just did not work. Um, name one guy with an ACL tear that made something of himself uh, from his draft choices. Oh, that's right. None of them made that. None of them made it. Um, some of them played but didn't make any of it. I think I think there's some potential out of Will Redman. He was one of the, the last ones that came out last year, but he didn't even touch the field. I think he touched the field. Yeah, he never touched the field. They used their one <laughs> IR activation on him, and then he never saw the field, and they put him right back. <clears throat> mm. Along with, like, 12 other guys. So um, I was glad to see him go. He just needed to go. 
I'm, there's some picks he's made that I like, but overall, when you look at the when you back up and look at the 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 macro of his player selection, it collectively it just wasn't enough to sustain the depth and the skill that that is needed to win at the NFL level. Exactly. I mean, you know, we've talked about this before. He he couldn't pick a wide receiver, for instance, to save his life. No, you know? AJ Jenkins was a one and done year. Uh, free agents he was good at, but I mean that's easy because you're 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 picking players that have a proven record. It's easy to look at Anquan Bolden and say, "Great, let's get him." It's easy to look at a guy this coming off season and say, "Like uh, Pierre Garcon, yeah, sure, let's sign him." That's a, that would be a great move. Michael Floyd uh, would have been dynamite, but uh, Patriots swooped him up real quick. Just little things like that, and also the frugalness of. Trent Balky was also a little frustrating too. You have a lot of cap money, and I, I understand that they made they made an effort to get some guys, but clearly there was a degree of aggressiveness or appeal that just didn't quite sell players to come over here. And I don't think it was the I don't think it was necessarily the culture, but I think it was just a little bit of frugalness on Balky's part. I know that. Uh, Prague Marate is the guy that that he's more the numbers guy. He's the guy that balances the budget. He's not the guy that goes in there and says, "Hey, we want you to play for our team." No, he's the guy that kind of signs the checks, makes sure all of the finances are great. He has an MBA. That's what he's in charge of doing. That's perfect for him. But for Trent Balky's case, I just don't think he, he. Sometimes it worked out. Most of the time, it didn't. You know, we looked at free agent guys. Every every free agent guy we were looking at in the offseason this year, none of them came to the 49ers with the exception of Zane Beatles, who probably just didn't have anywhere else to go. Or perhaps, yeah. you know, that that was the guess I'm, I'm looking at because they looked at Sean Smith. They looked at uh, Osemele, who went to the Raiders, and both of them ended up having good seasons. Sean Smith was took him a little bit while to acclimate more than Osemele, but Osemele's had an outstanding season. I think he's a pro bowler this year. But a lot of missed opportunities, and he his his stubbornness to maintain that philosophy that's not working out is the definition of insanity. He just kept doing the same thing, expecting expecting different results, and it just never happened. Yeah, I mean, there are you know, there's also some other things that came out, kind of you know, the kind of play off of that was that uh, apparently he he communicated very very little with um with coaches about the draft and you you know you just got whatever he, he gave you and maybe that came from him going back and forth with harbaugh i don't know if that was something that had, that had developed over the years but yeah apparently there was no communication over over draft picks and you know and then there's this whole uh, yeah, i guess chip wanted dak prescott and he didn't think and i you know i i don't i don't know about any of that i think i, I feel like every 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 uh, scouts, every team's someone from every team right now is saying that they wanted Dak Prescott and someone else didn't. Everybody yeah, th- th- that one I don't put too much onus on because a it's coming from Jay Glazer who is kind of annoying, and <laughs> b it's it's you, go, go to any team, any draft year, and every single team or every single coach will name a can name a player off the top of their head that they wanted that they didn't get. You know, or name a player that they wanted, but the GM ended up choosing somebody else instead. Exactly. You know, that's it's like those are a dime a dozen. Yep. Exactly. Exactly. So the I think also though I think part of this comes from the fact that honestly I think so honestly I think part of this comes from the fact that you've got. 
the re- so maybe some of the reason you 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 also get rid of so this is what this is what Jed York said and I want to I want to hear your take on this and then then we'll we'll start looking towards the future but Jed York in his press conference we all saw the press conference I thought he handled the press conference really well is a heated is a I mean heated like in the I mean, he took a lot of flack, and I, and it feels like the flack against him in these press conferences have has progressed over the course of the last three seasons. And not only are fans frustrated, but clearly beat writers who cover the 49ers are also equally as frustrated, and that certainly came out uh, within the questions I was hearing him getting asked. Well, yeah, definitely, because you know, regard. I think mo- I think many of these beat writers, whether you know whether they care to admit it or not, I think they're fans. They're fans of the 49ers. That's why they're beat writers for the 49ers. You know. Yeah. And so you know, I think it comes out. I think, I think sometimes, you know, I, I think I might be I might be a Jed York apologist until he wins a Super Bowl, and then everyone claims how much they always love Jed York. You know, um, until everyone's you know that 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 becomes the news story. I I, I don't. I think he's made some big mistakes, but I think really what I see in Jed is the fact that as a yearning to win, he wants to win really bad. So because of that, he he's made some mistakes, but his drive to win, I think it'll get us there eventually. So, yeah, it's not like he wants to lose. It's not like he's sitting up there like, oh, great, this is perfect. I mean, his parents were more like that. They they didn't understand the, the sports aspect of owning a sports team. Jed... It, understood that a little bit more better obviously better than his parents did and at the same time he's kind of learning the hardships of not only building a successful franchise but more importantly in his case maintaining a successful franchise and that you can't just jettison things like that or or you know pick sides because once you do that if you pick the wrong side you can see how quickly things just go to rock bottom yeah i mean he he is definitely learning uh, he's, you know, it's definitely school school of hard knocks uh, for him right now. It's, he's on the job training, and and the the fact is, he wants to get it right. He wants to make the right decision. He wants the team to be successful, and I think that because his heart's in the right place, his his head is getting there too. Unfortunately, we're just we just have to as fans be the uh, the recipients of a team that has you know gone from such tremendous success to very very poor success. You know. Yeah. So. So having said all that, you know, he – I thought the couple things he said, he said, you know, there's no, no, no answer I'd give you guys is going to be satisfactory to you guys. You know, so and he said that from from the beginning. And uh, and I was like, well, that's true. I agree with that 100%. No, no, no answer is going to be satisfactory. But he said that the reason he let go of Chip was because he thought that the – he never saw improvement coming out of the team. And – uh, Depends you know, what I, your definition of improvement is. I mean, you're. Go ahead, but uh, go ahead. But well, I mean, I have to say that I, I I agreed with that. I thought that over the course of 16 games, reg- you know, regardless of what you know, and, and and I'm sure there's some numbers that can refute it, but I felt like regardless, outside of outside of the Rams games, the 49ers pretty much could only give you about 30 minutes of football for most of those games this year. That's about what they're capable of doing. Um, the defense. Uh, suffered a lot of injuries, so they clearly they you know it, I think they were in a position where they could never get better. But I, I didn't think they should have fired Chip, but I thought his reasoning was fair. What what are your thoughts on it? Logically, it makes sense. I mean, if if you look at it more finitely, you can you can certainly look to 
I'd say a handful of games, if not more, where the 49ers actually played to the last game. Carolina comes to mind early in the season. Seattle, obviously, at the very end here. Uh, the Miami game was another one uh, against a, a Miami team that's 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 doing well, that's in the playoffs, and a lot of credit goes to Adam Gaze, you know, and we're, we're going to interview his defensive coordinator, which we'll get into in the future here. But um, I saw – I didn't see any – defensive improvement because they were riddled with injuries and actually all of the top all of the teams with the most IR uh, at least majority of the teams in the NFL that had the most players on IR also to no surprise had the worst records in the NFL with the Mm -hmm. exception of the Baltimore Ravens who by the way are not in the playoffs yeah so you know so do you, so I'm saying, but do you feel like you didn't see improvement out out throughout the whole year? I, I mean, did, like but it, but it, I did, but it was really minute. It, I mean, as a whole, at the at the micro level, there was some improvement. Kaepernick improved from the previous year. The offensive line improved from the previous year. The running game was uh, top five in the NFL, but and that's because it was a combination of quarterback running decisive, very very well timed quarterback running by Kaepernick ran beautifully all year long and he was a, he's a very smart runner he's not reckless like Russell Wilson or even more so Cam Newton Cap runs is an excellent runner excellent scrambler probably the best in the NFL in my opinion and those are areas I saw improvement defensively I didn't see anything I saw a little bit of improvement in the passing game but the front seven was just absolutely dismal once Bowman went down and Ray Ray Armstrong went down there was nothing that we could do in terms of stopping the run. It certainly wasn't going to come from the backups. And every time backups came in there, they went down. We were we were on third string and practice squad guys by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. And that's just not going to cut it. I, uh, DeForest Buckner on a micro level again. Micro level. DeForest Buckner had a great rookie season. He had over, he had, I believe, six sacks, over six sacks. He hit all of his goals for the year. His personal goals that he set, he wanted six sacks this year. He hit the same goals he Aaron that Aaron Lynch set a couple years ago in his rookie year. That Aaron, speaking of, Aaron Lynch was a huge disappointment this year. I know he had the the uh, suspension, but then when he came back, he had the leg injury and was just never himself, never capitalized on himself. So I think, you know, the suspension's huge. You've got to stay on your, your P's and Q's because if you don't, you can just be thrown out of rhythm. And Aaron Lynch is more of a rhythm momentum guy, and he was never able to establish any of that. Going forward, again, on the macro level, the team took a step back in terms of last year. We obviously won more games last year, but the offense looked terrible last year. The offensive line in particular was one of the worst in the NFL. This year was kind of more mid, mid-grade, maybe lower mid-grade. I'd say as a group, they also sustained some injuries late in the year and they lost some of their big guns and Josh Garnett had to go through his growing pains early, but I'd throw him in the fire. He's your first round pick. Buckner's out there having more defensive snaps than any other rookie. So might as well get his his licks too. Let's prepare him for next year because these guys need to work out. I, these partic- Eric Armstead, Buckner, and Josh Garnett are guys that I really want to see work out. Richard Robinson also had a good year for a rookie. If he was a three, four-year player, I would say you probably need to dump him. But <laughs> and, but as a rookie, he played very well. Um, he made a lot of mistakes, especially a lot. He got a lot of flags thrown his way, because, but that's part of his technique and discipline. He's aggressive, which I like. He's also big, which I like. So he just needs to work on his discipline. It's great. But, uh, but yeah, I mean... Going back to your question, I'm kind of getting more 
details in about it, as I always do. But, you know, from a macro stance, yes, the team took a step back. They looked worse than they did last year. And a lot of the predictions about what they what their record would be turned out to be very true, uh, to my surprise. Yeah, we were, we were, you and I both really, uh, you know, I expected, okay, in my defense, I expected a team somewhere between, you know, five and eight wins, but I did not expect a team to only win two and just be just so, just so lackluster on, on, as a team, you know what I mean? To struggle this, maybe not lackluster is the right word, maybe just struggled this poor, this badly. I didn't expect yeah. that. Yeah, I didn't expect that either. So on a macro level, they took a step back. On a micro level, I saw a lot of things that I liked, things and some things that you can build for in the future. There it is. So now talking about that future, let's get into the future. Where do we go from here? Oh, from here, we are building from scratch to a large degree. Uh, GM, the Niners are now trying to interview general managers and head coaching positions a lot of them coming out in combinations we're we're interviewing both of green bay's top uh gm and personnel director so both those guys are i believe this thursday in the niners will be in green bay interviewing both those guys it's brian gutnance and elliot wolf who is the son of the great wolf the i forget his father's name but Great guy, a great long lineage and great tree. So our guy Scott McLuhan comes from comes from his dad's tree. Scott McLuhan's a good coach. He's doing good things over in Washington as one example. You mean, you mean uh, Scott McLuhan, you mean uh, as a as a GM. As a GM, yes. Um, on the head coaching side, we're thinking about Josh McDaniels, who I hear is an asshole, or at least was an asshole in Denver. Um, I think he's kind of been sitting pretty built having to build his reputation back up in new england kind of easy thing to do when you got a guy like tom brady um at behind center so he's another one i know they're also thinking about nick casario who is the gm over in new england so that would be a combination that's why that's why these combos are coming up like this although in green bay's case it's uh it's they're those two elliot wolf and brian uh good are competing against each other I know they're also looking at defensive coordinator Vance Joseph for a head coaching position. I don't like this one at all. Miami's 10 and 6. They improved this year offensively, but defensively they were ranked 30th against the rush. Passing, they were kind of middle middle ground, 15th uh, yards per game. They were 30th or 29th, almost dead last. Points allowed, they were lower mid-tier, 18th in the league. To me, that doesn't really necessarily scream, you know, yay. So I'm not sure about him. The intriguing one out of the whole group that's coming out is Thomas Riddick, who's an ESPN analyst. He played for the Niners in the 90s. He played for several other teams, played for about eight or nine years in the NFL, then became a scout, then went to ESPN. Um, this guy is interesting because he has a lot of football experience as a player. He also has football experience as a scout, so he knows how to evaluate talent. Whether he he be good as a GM or not remains to be seen. He'd be kind of new blood into that role because he's never been a GM. And but I think people are kind of intrigued by this guy because he he's talked a lot about Josh McDaniels. He likes that guy, so there is an, an inclination of a possible marriage between those two if that was if that was to come to fruition. He mm. also is kind of he he's also a little bit skeptical of Colin Kaepernick. 
He thinks that Cap is more successful if you put weapons around him, like we've always said. At the same time, he doesn't think Cap's going to get any better than what we've seen in terms of no. efficiency. And I think that's pretty dead on. Um, but you can see that when he is efficient, if you put a good roster around him, you still got a pretty darn good quarterback. You don't have an elite quarterback, but you have an above-average quarterback. Yeah, that's true. That's true. So, I mean, definitely a lot of a lot of options out there. I think that... Uh... I think the thing the I think the I think you really could lure in a good coach if you get a good GM first and someone from Cowboy lineage, someone from New England lineage. I mean, those are definitely exactly, you know, organizations with wonderful reputations and histories of current current histories of success. And so you grab one of those guys and then I think you can build from there. The nice part is we're the only team looking for a GM. So we have no competition on that front. And. There's only 32 G- GM jobs in the world, so they're they're highly coveted. And so the opportunity to go and you have a situation like San Francisco where you can come in and basically completely take over, uh, that's got to be fairly enticing for someone who is looking to make the jump into the general management position from one of these key executive uh, front office positions. Exactly, and not just any team. We're talking about the San Francisco 49ers, and sure, we have our bias as – San Francisco natives and birthright fans. But at the same time, this is a team that despite having, we talked a little bit about this off air, despite having a 2-14 and 14 record, they still managed to take the spotlight away from the rest of the NFL that was all trying to, that a lot of, a lot of teams were playing spoiler or trying to solidify their position within the playoff tournament. And the Niners just overcat, overshot, all, eclipsed all of that. By firing their GM, firing their head coach, and now being rock bottom, trying to trying to find fill those two positions and start to build this roster back up to prominence. Despite all of that, all, that's all that's all bad news. But that news still superseded the rest of the league. Why? Because the San Francisco 49ers are a premier franchise, and no matter what kind of news is coming out of a premier franchise, it still takes precedence over the rest of the league because that's what a premier franchise does. It's true. I mean, there, you know, I've talked about this before on on the on the Gold Coast before, but you know, there's a there's a reason why whenever you see NFL commercials, you almost always see the 49ers as one of the uh, logos that's being presented on there. You know, you're always going to see you're always going to see the Cowboys, the Giants, the Niners, uh, the Pats a lot. Uh, you know, it's just one of those premier franchises. Cowboys, you, you're always going to see the 49ers right up in there. I mean, they're in the top like seven of the the uh, of the the premier ones. So you know, they we, we news news coming out of San Francisco is always big, regardless of uh, of what it is. It's always really big. So you know, I I am excited. I really really hope we land one of these executives from one of these. Uh, one of these premier leagues and, you know, looking at you, Green Bay and New England, I hope we land one of those guys because I think you land you land that GM and the rest of it falls into place at that point. I agree, especially I think and GM, too. Here's the thing with GM guys. If you if you're a guy like Theo Epstein, you know, who is very confident, has built successful teams before, something like this is very appealing to you because you get to come in and build from scratch. Now, Ray, let's take a quick look into the playoffs Niners are obviously out a big shock Niners are out they're out they're out this year and uh, we've got the wild card round and it's some pretty uh 
pretty rough games <laughs> for the first round. I feel like the only game that I'm really excited for is Giants-Packers. I think that game is going to be awesome. I'm actually really sad that they're playing each other in the wild card round. I would have much preferred this to have been a divisional game. You've got Dolphins, uh, Steelers, Raiders-Texans, Lions-Seahawks, Giants-Packers. Uh, what a rough one. So, Ray, let's break this down real quick. Who do you – okay, the Raiders. Let's just – I, I want to talk about the Raiders. Got old man Davis. It's like every time something bad happens, old man Davis disappears. Every time something happens to the Rams, Louis B disappears. I just find it really convenient that our co-hosts somehow manage to avoid any week where we have an opportunity to completely bash uh, their, their poor teams. Do you notice this? Yeah, it's really convenient. It's very uh, – it must be nice to be able to <laughs> cower in the shadows any time that uh, you got to deal with adversity w- with your team. Here we are hosting, talking about a 2-14 and 14 Niners. Yeah, and then, then you know, and they, they, they never seem to skip a beat on those weeks where we're, we're just getting destroyed yet again. <laughs> yeah, I, I, still think, I still think that it's, uh, in, I guess in Old Man Davis's case, I think the Raiders will – probably top the Texans because the Texans are a far worse team than the Raiders, despite the Raiders having gotten their head chopped off a couple times. Okay. See now I thought that too. And Louis B actually, he texted me this morning that he, he believes the Raiders are going to win because the Texans are starting Brock Osweiler. But the thing about it is, is that, you know, last week Raiders really, really struggled with moving the ball. They weren't really capable of doing it very well. And this was against a very strong Denver defense. Now the Texans defense is also really, really strong. So I, I don't know. I, I could just, I could, I could, you know, I think this thing they're strong, but but they break a lot. You know, they they bend, they bend and they break. They're, that's the kind of defense they are. They're inconsistent. Yeah, I don't know. I, I I have to admit, I I could see the Texans, the Texans winning this one. I really could. Um, I could, but it really depends on what defense shows up. And here's yeah. the thing. The Raiders are in a position now where they are vulnerable enough to be susceptible to that defense. So that, that could very well backfire. If Carr was in there, then I'd say no dice. You're not going to outshoot the Raiders. The oh, Texans sure. don't have the firepower to do that, and the defense isn't strong enough to hold them all game. Oh, agreed. 1,000% agreed. Uh, yeah, I agree with that most definitely. Now – Let's move on to Lions Seahawks. I I think the Seahawks win that one. I think so too. Unfortunately, this is just a really bad matchup for the Lions. I think the Lions will put up a good defensive fight for most of the part most of the time. But I mean, if 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 the Lions can do what the Niners did better, then they've got a shot. But it really depends on how well how well they're able to do that. I mean, the Lions have a knack for just not going very deep no matter what playoff year it is for them. But I'm going to take the, I mean, the Seahawks, it's an easy one. They're at home. They just won against us. I think that was a good wake-up call. Like, hey, don't don't, don't take anyone for granted, no matter how bad they are. You almost just lost to a 2-14 and 14 team. So I think they'll they'll be ready ready to play against the Lions. I don't think the Lions will, will be able to sustain four quarters against them. Yeah, now... Dolphins Steelers man that's a wonky game too I, I literally never know which Steeler game is going to uh going to show up but I mean that Steelers have been playing fairly well 
as the uh, in the second half of the season. Dol- Dolphins um, lost their quarterback, and we just went over their defense. Uh, Steelers all day. Yeah, exactly. Then the final one, the big matchup of the weekend. This really deserved to be in the divisional round. Unfortunately, that's just not the way the numbers played out. New York Giants at Green Bay Packers. What do you think? I'll tell you what I think. I already know exactly who I think is going to win this game. Well, Aaron Rodgers is playing really good right now. Part of their parts of their defense are playing really good right now. They're in Lambeau Field, which is always an advantage. The Giants, though, do have a really good knack for disrupting opponents within the playoffs. They have a history of that. I'm going to say, but any defense, a good defense will shut down an elite quarterback any day. And I think that the Giants defense is good enough to take care of Aaron Rodgers, despite the fact that Aaron Rodgers played really good down the stretch in the latter half of the season and was able to lift the Packers into the playoffs. But I just don't think they've got enough to overcome the Giants defense. I am in agreement with you. I do not believe the Packers have enough to overcome the New York Giants defense. Defense wins championships. We're in the playoffs, and this is really, really where defenses start to come into play. Offense will get you to the to the post. Defense will win that championship. And I, I, I'm with you. I say Giants over Packers uh, for sure. Uh, we agree. Seahawks over Lions. We're split. I think the Texans' defense is going to shut down that third-string terrible quarterback the Raiders have, and I think that's the end for the Raiders. And we both agree Steelers over Dolphins. Yeah, that's good stuff. Now, Raymond, where can they find us? You can find us at our new Twitter handle, at GoldCastSF. That is part of the expansion project because we're going to be focusing on more than just the 49ers. Oh, we're going to be focusing on the Bay Area teams, and some jackass took Goldcast, so we have to do Goldcast SF. <laughs> you can also like us on Facebook, facebook.com slash 49ers Goldcast. There might be some changes coming to that. I'm not sure if Facebook allows us to do that, but for now, the same site you've always come to love and like on Facebook. And then you can also subscribe to us via iTunes, YouTube, and Twitter. Those are terrific because the second we go live, you're going to get a notification. Make sure to click the right notification tabs on YouTube. I think you have to subscribe and then also click the little bell symbol that's also there. That was something new that happened this year. So if that way, when we go live, you'll get notified. You'll be able to listen to it right there on the spot via iTunes, YouTube, and Stitcher. Do it. Do it. Make it happen. Raymond, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at Ray Solis. You can also find me on Facebook. Bam. Because I take care of the Goldcast Facebook page. So when you respond, you'll usually be responding to me or Rudy will chime in as well. That's right. And you can find me at Rudy Solis third, Rudy Solis three R D. Uh, and, and that's it. We will be well, actually back. breaking, breaking, breaking news. This came in just uh, within the hour, within the last 30 minutes, 49ers to interview 30 year old Redskins offensive coordinator, Sean McVay for the head coaching vacancy on Monday. And for those of you kids who don't know your 49ers history, Sean McVay is the son of John McVay who, by the way, was the GM for the 49ers who picked all of our tremendous players throughout the 80s era. Ooh, I like that. So interesting interesting name thrown into the mix there. We'll see how that shapes up. And Washington is actually a decent team. They did not make the playoffs, but uh, it's 
but uh, it's an interesting name just because of the the history and the ties. And Washington's actually a decent team. They're not a great team, but they're a decent team. And yeah, he would be. He'd actually be the youngest head coach, uh, I think, and definitely in the NFL. I don't know about maybe even ever. He's he's only like thirty. Oh wow, he's super young. Yeah. He's younger than Adam Gaze, who's I believe thirty eight. Yeah, that's really young. So, anyways, well, we'll see. That's uh, that's another name tossed into the into the ring. I'm sure uh, we'll have a lot more a lot more to talk about when next week comes up. You and I about all about all where all this is going. And as you guys know, the Goldcast is not stopping. Make sure that you check out tomorrow. We will have our recap. Dan, the man, will be on to recap UFC 207. What a crazy crazy main event about all, all three fights and uh, it was good stuff so we'll be back for that and uh hope you guys like the uh the new intro the new intro is uh it's pretty hot and no response from ray huh <laughs> <laughs> I, I didn't know you were throwing that to my way uh i i i've heard it i've heard a couple different versions of it i like uh i like the one I like the, uh, the the one that says the full name. So I hope you guys like it too. We like it. It's part of the expansion thing. More of that stuff coming soon, including new logos and all that kind of stuff, all that kind of uh, details. All that jazz. So concludes another edition of the of the, of the the Goldcast. <laughs> I almost said the 49ers. <laughs> so, Steve and I got to use it. So concludes another edition of the Goldcast. I'm your host, Rudy Salisa III, and with me is my brother, my co-host. Raymond Salisa first, baby. Boom. We'll see you next time. Same gold cast time, same gold cast channel. This is, is the gold cast.